Well, good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad to. I'm glad to hear so much chitter chatter. Michael's gonna keep giving hugs to the bitter end. Hey, if you guys need anyone needs a Bible in here, we got them up here. Raise your hand. We'll bring them to you. Um, if anyone's in need, I know everyone's got a device or. Uh, something these days, uh, but I'm a paper guy myself. Uh, but welcome, welcome to Emmaus. I know I've cut with Alex said it a couple times, but I'm so glad you're here. Uh, again, if this is your first time with us, hey, you're in good company. It's my first time with you. Uh, yeah, super excited, super excited. Uh, aren't you glad you're not having to be up here t- uh, teaching if it's your first time? Uh, but man, if that is, we want you to just plug in, uh, know us and be known, um, serve, give, and just, just be all in. Uh, we're so glad you're here, and I'm so glad I'm here. Uh, what an incredible, incredible journey it's been to get in this spot. Uh, not that it's like this been this long process of me like grinding and wringing my hands for my whole life, like finally I'm in the lead pastor position. Uh, that's definitely not how it's gone, and I'm going to share a little bit about that today. I mean, this sermon today is kind of a standalone message about uh, a little bit of my story, but a little bit of y'all's story um, that I'm just starting to figure out. But I'm just going to talk about God's goodness and what I've seen already and how I've I've experienced that. Uh, Man, last weekend, I just want to say thank you guys so much from from me. Uh, Yes. There'll probably be a few times throughout this message that I might get a little weepy. Uh, I told the, I told the, text the elders yesterday, I said, I don't know, I've been oscillating from like excited, my heart bracing to weepy. I feel like I'm throwing fastballs over the top of the catcher's head in the bullpen as I was like uh, finishing up preparing yesterday. So just uh, bear with me. You can cry. They're tears of joy. I'm a crier. You'll get to know me in those things. Uh, but man, we were just blown away. Kelly. My three girls, Zoe, uh, Lois, and Rahab, um, about your generous gifts, just the time that you guys spent um, last Sunday and these last six months. It's just been completely incredible. I just want you guys to know that it's just been a joy to stand and walk alongside of you guys uh, this whole time and be able to see God's faithfulness, even in this period where uh, after Brian left till I'm standing here today. And that I've seen growth, I've seen joy, I've seen life, I've seen light. I mean, just all those good biblical words, that all those things have been, have, have been happening. And uh, I really want to say a special thanks again to the staff, uh, how I've got to know each one of you guys and how you've ministered to me already. And then a special thank you uh, to the elders, uh, Adam, Ken, Eric, um, man. You guys have been in good hands. You didn't need me. They would say that. But I just want you to know, these people have served you guys. These guys have served you as they've served Christ. They've laid down their lives for this church. And I, I would not be standing here. My family wouldn't be standing there if it wasn't God's faithfulness. And then for you guys, for them, for their wives... Becca, Shannon, Sharon, like you guys have like, you guys have let them kind of run this place for three months and that's been a huge sacrifice. So thank you guys. 
uh, for that. And I'm standing here as a recipient of that, and it's a joy. It's a, it's a true joy. Like I said, I've been super nervous a little bit, not just to per start per teaching and preaching uh, on a regular basis, but I mean, it's just been like this. It's been welling up inside of me. I just want to be up here. I'm, I'm confident to be up here, but it's been just, I've been nervous because I want it to be, I want to be joy-filled, and I feel a responsibility for the call that you guys have, that God has placed on my life, and that you guys have said yes, and amen to that. So, uh, because of that, I, uh, I want to pray, and I want to open this up, but I'm just going to read uh, uh, kind of a liturgy for uh, my prayer, because I didn't know kind of where my heart would be at this moment. But it really, it's from a book, Every Holy Moment, Every Moment Holy, uh, by uh, Andrew Peterson and uh, this other there's a guy named Douglas McKelvey. Uh, but it's a liturgy, and liturgies are good. Maybe you've done them, maybe you don't know. <laughs> But they are, but again, they, they provide some good scaffolding, some lattice to kind of just put our uh, sometimes cold hearts. And when we don't have the words, uh, it gives us words. And so I wanted to read this because I was reading it to, yesterday and I was thinking, this is exactly what I want for Emmaus. This is exactly what I want for my life. And this is what my, so it's not only my prayer for this morning, but it's my prayer moving forward. Um, this is my prayer, to remember God's faithfulness, that he is a yes and amen God, that he is, that he is true to all his promises. And that's what I'm going to talk about today from John 3 a little bit and the life of John the Baptist. But I want, you to, I want us to remember that today, and you'll hear that. But here's what it says. Um, it's an invocation, and he's talking about writing, actually writing the, these liturgies. But he says, how fearful a vocation. So uh, this, let's just make this my prayer. So why don't you guys go ahead and bow your heads, and I'll read it, and I'll say amen, and we'll get going here. But he says, How fearful a vocation is the writing of liturgies, O Lord, or the teaching, or the pastoring of a people. O Lord, for it presumes the shaping of words that others will speak to you. Therefore, make me faithful to my craft, O great architect of truth and poetry, let me be diligent to the discipline and the labor required, but let me never forget all such measured faithfulness yields only a polished stone, meaningless until it's stirred from within by your breath until it's set by you in a crown of your crafting. Grant to me then an unmerited wisdom to anticipate the needs of your people in their varied seasons of life. Let me find form to convey their loves and fears, their thoughts and hopes, their sorrows and their celebrations. Inspire me to tell the words of holiness of your presence made manifest in all tasks, all the hours of the day. For you, O Lord, are with us always. Every sphere of life and creation is yours, and all our threads of the same bright weave, all our goings out and all our comings in, all our fellowship and all our loneliness, our youth and our old age, our passions and our vocations, our chores and our entertainments. You are equally present in our failures and in our successes, in our sleep and in our wakeful hours, in our tears and our laughter, in our birth and in our lives. And even in the hours of our deaths, you are ever-present with us. May this sermon and these prayers, therefore, serve to train the hearts of your people to practice a mindfulness of your presence in all moments. Move within these 
days, months, years, liturgies. O Spirit of God, stir these pages, these words, these lives. Stir hearts, stir minds, stir imaginations. Call your people to remember you always. O people of God, remember your God. Remember Him in all places. Remember Him at all times. Remember His grace and His love. Remember His comfort and His mercy. Remember His beauty and His wonder. Remember His instruction and His holiness. He is here. He is with you every moment. Every moment is holy. Amen. So that's my prayer. Amen to that. Well, this morning, the main thing I want to say is tell you again a little bit about my story, a little bit about my calling, and I feel as I share that, because I want you guys to get to know me and as I'm getting to know you guys, I feel like in that, God has also a word for us. Not necessarily in the fact that you have to just completely just take on whatever this calling is for me. You guys have had your own calling as Emmaus, that God has now sought fit to join our hearts and to join those callings. I wouldn't be standing here today if that wasn't true. I wouldn't be standing here today if God wasn't faithful in that. And I would not be standing here today if I didn't believe that my calling is now this. And your calling is now me. And we are family. And we are here by the power of the Holy Spirit. For his, His glory in His church through His bride. So basically what I want to talk about today, and we'll go to John 3 in just a second, so if you want to start turning there, that's fine. We'll, it'll be up on the, on the screen. But kind of like very Paul-esque, Peter-esque, they wrote the Gospels, I kind of want to like remind you, and I've already kind of done that, like we've been reminding you of all that you guys are, how, how you've been a joy to me. You've, man, this is what a, what a aroma we've talked about and sang about this morning, that you guys have already been to my, my heart and Kelly's heart and our, our family and, and, and just how we're overflowing flowing with thankfulness to our God for you already and we're just getting to know you. And you might be thinking, well, just get to know us. You might, the shine might wear off. <laughs> well, that's the truth for me. I know the shine's going to wear off and I'm going to need a lot of grace. But that's, what I, that's one of the reasons I just read that liturgy, because it's about every day. It's a bit in the joys and in the struggles. It's about in those hard times. So like Paul, he was very thankful for, for people when he wrote a letter. Then he talked about like, hey, this is who you guys were and who you are. And then he's like, this is who God is and this is who I am. And then he was like, kind of then to this kind of trajectory of all his letters and all those letters is kind of like, and this is who we're going to be together. And so that's kind of my heart in this message is kind of like, this is who I am. This is who I've already seen of you guys. And this is who now our God is front and center. And this is who I want us to be in the days and months ahead. So thank you guys for who you've already been. And as I get into talking a little bit more about me, I'll I'll, I'll share a little bit more of that when we get into this story about uh, John the Baptist. But what I want to do for our time this morning is simply look quickly at John 3, a couple other things. And the fact that here's a man 
that we get to look at. And not only do we get to see who God is and his promises and his faithfulness, but we get to kind of see ourselves and our place in the story. From this guy who kind of spans from the Old Testament into the New Testament, but then also looks beyond Christ to the things that are coming. And that's the good part about God's Word is, as we look into God's Word, not only is it something for us to look through at all of life, but it's also something for us to take, and we can look at the people in it and the stories therein, and they're real people and they're real stories. They have hardships, they have trials, and we get to look at them looking at Christ. We get to look at them seeing who this great Savior is. Look at them looking at God and all his facets. And they become kind of a, a spectacle or a, 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 you know, a monocle, if you will, uh, of being able to look at God and see him in a new way. And that's the glory of God's word. Because it's, it's not just rote words on a blank canvas. It's the canvases of lives. And you guys are canvases of lives. You know, Paul talks about it being us being a, a workmanship of Christ Jesus. A, the, the poem, the poema is what the Greek word Paul uses there. And, and that's true for me, and that's true for us as a collective body. And this is exactly what's going on with John the Baptist. Um, so as you guys start to think about John the Baptist, I think the reality is, when I say John the Baptist, what are some things that start coming to your mind? You guys can shout out. We can be interactive here a little bit. But what, when I say John the Baptist, what, what pops in your mind? <laughs> Honey, locusts, wild man, bold, preparation, Elijah, beheading, yeah, yeah. He courageous. He came to it. He came to his uh, his demise. Yeah, when he called out Herod and Herod's affairs, and uh, that was the guy he was. I mean, when Jesus walked on the scene, you look in John, just in the John one. It's like John one starts out. I know you guys went last year and a half or so ago. You went through John, and like I mean, right there at the beginning, like John's talking about John, and you're like, is this which which John is this? Like. But it's like he's talking about how he's a witness. And he's like, I'm not the light. He's the light. No, I'm not. And he says, like, no, and I'm not. About 13 different ways in, like, just a few verses there in the beginning of, of John 1. And he's like, Jesus comes on the scene to get baptized by him. And, and, and he's like, like, kind of Peter asks, like, uh, I, wait, I'm not baptizing you. But he's like, as soon as he sees him crest hill, he's like, behold, there's the Lamb of God. And he knew, like, right there, like, sucks in, like, a vacuum, like, this is the moment. This is the faithfulness of God long before I was alive. And that's what he's doing. So those are all the things that we think, well, in Matthew 11, before we give it to John, Matthew 11, 11, Jesus, uh, Caleb, put that up there, Jesus, this is what Jesus remembers about John the Baptist and wants us to know. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom is greater than he. We'll get back to that in just a second. Open up to John 3 with me. So fast, well, rewind from that verse in the timeline. But fast forward from John 1 to John 3. 
we'll pick it up in verse 22. A lot of good stuff's going on in John 3. A lot of different, him setting the tone, Nicodemus, snake on a pole, just crazy stuff going on. For God to love the world, we know that verse, John 3, 16. Um, just crazy stuff going on. So then verse 22, all of a sudden, here's John the Baptist. A little quick story about him. Why, and it's like, why is this here? So verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing. So you have Jesus baptizing. And now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, which means springs of peace, because water is plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. So you have them doing ministry concurrently at the same time. So just because Jesus was on the scene, just because he baptized him, it doesn't mean he's like, stop doing his thing. Verse 24, John adds an editorial comment, for John had not been put into prison. Now verse 25, now a discussion arose about some of John's, uh, between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing. And all are going to him. So, before even John answers, like the reality is, just like church people do, they're going sideways. I mean, it's the day-to-day life for them, but they're, they're getting lost in these kind of like sideways conversations. And maybe something meaningful. There's a lot going on here. A lot to that answer. But the reality is, like, they're talking, you got Jesus baptizing, you got John baptizing, and they're, they're, they're having a little argument about the, the modes and means of purification, which is typically how we do things, right? So verse 26, and John, then came John and said to, to him, sorry, they came to John, sorry, I read that one already, verse 26, 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. So just a humble answer, John starts talking and says, hey, this is who God is. Nothing happens, no ministry happens, no discussion, nothing happens unless God makes it happen. He says, verse 28, you yourselves bear witness to me that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have sinned, been sent before him. Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Eugene Peterson uh, and the message, he says, um, and I don't, I don't have it in front of me uh, when Caleb gets it up there, but this reality of, I like the way that he puts it here. He says, the one who gets the bride is, by definition, the bridegroom. And the bridegroom's friend is the best man. Hey, that's me. In a place at his side where he can hear every word is genuinely happy. How could he be jealous when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? That's why my cup is running over. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center 
while I slip off to the sidelines. So in our verse 29, the disciples have just now said, they've been having these discussions about purification, and now they're like, hey, wasn't that that dude that uh, you baptized? Like, if you baptize him, why are all these people now going over to him? And he's like, this is how it's supposed to be. This is why I came. This is why I'm here. I'm here that they'd go to him. I was his forerunner. So again, just like us, just like me in my heart, sometimes you're like, hey, why is that happening over there? Why is this happening over there? Why am I not getting to experience what I'm seeing people experiencing? Why are we putting in all this hard work, but yet they keep going to other places? Why is that ministry thriving? Why is that family thriving? Why is that marriage thriving? I'm doing all the work. What's going on? Well, verse 29, to kind of hit the pause button of walking through the text there, was something that kind of hit me a few years ago when I, when I was first in ministry. Uh, it was a church I grew up in. Uh, I was a kind of bivocational pastor, and uh, then all of a sudden, the, the, the senior pastor and kind of the associate pastor were going on sabbaticals. And so it was like, yes, it's my time to shine. It's time to, be, you know, the student is becoming the teacher kind of a moment. And uh, great, intimate group of people, uh, great friends, some still this day, but it was in that summer that I, I started to like have a little bit of the, if you will, the taste of the glory, uh, to, to quote Nacho Libre. Uh, uh, yeah, a little taste of the glory. And, you know, I wanted a little bit more. And so in that moment, I was like, things weren't always lining up exactly like Micah wanted them to, or I, exactly like I thought they were going to happen. And we had this great worship uh, kind of movement going on in our church that time. We had this worship service we do on Wednesday nights, and we were like, teaching on psalms, and we were writing psalms, uh, uh, like songs at the same time uh, with the worship leaders. So it was just a great, unique experience. Um, but just some things, I don't even remember now what the thing was that I was like, uh, it was, you know, kind of like licking the red off my lollipop. But the reality of it is, you're going to get a lot of those random things. You're like, what did he, did he say that? Yes, he said that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was, I was whining about someone taking my candy. Um, and I don't know why. I think I was just reading uh, John's, uh, uh, I was reading in John that summer as well for myself, and I was actually reading this book, and I'll read you all a, a, a snippet from there at the end of the day. But this reality, as I was reading John 3, and I got to John 29, and I was reading these disciples saying this, and it was just like the world stopped moving in that moment. And it was like God was there. The Holy Spirit was heavy. And he said, this, it's not about you, Micah. It's always been not about you. It's always been about Jesus. And that's, this is not just, I mean, I'm having a pastoral moment in that, you know, in that moment. But this is not just a pastoral thing. Like, it's always about Jesus, and it's always going to be about Jesus. And at Emmaus, my heart is that it's always going to be about Jesus, and it's never going to be about me. And so as God brought this, you know, whatever, 10 years ago, and this was happening, and God was just stopping Micah dead in his tracks, really probably like we were singing today and praying today, like, hey, 
have your way. Holy Spirit, come to this place, fill this room. Like, those are big prayers. Those are tall orders. If we, if we mean those things, to say, God, come have your way is a very scary and daunting thing. To say, Holy Spirit, have your way, have this place is a very big thing. But, a, but God always meets us with kind of stop you dead in your tracks things when we get to those moments and we say those things. And that's what he did on that day for me when he said, you're just a friend. You're not the bridegroom. And so in that moment, it was like soul crushing. But since that moment, and in that moment, God turned it. And as he always does, in his grace and his mercy, he said, you're just a friend of the bridegroom. And like it turned, like you're a friend of the bridegroom. It was like, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And I was like, that's what ministry is. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. That's what life is. That's what family is. We're just friends of the bridegroom. And it's not just just, it's like we are. And it's a tall task. And it's a tall order. And it's a glorious task. And it's a glorious order. But we're never... A, it's, the story's not about us. The story will never be about us. The story will never be about Micah and his family. The story will never be about Emmaus. The story's always going to be about Jesus. Amen. And that's my heart, and I believe that that's the, what God's desire is for my life, and it's what God's desire is for Emmaus. And that is since that day has been my guide in ministry. And there hasn't been a day, hardly, that I haven't thought of that. I always have it in my Bible. I have it every place that I work. I think about it. There's not, there literally isn't a week that I don't think, have to have the thought, Micah, you're just the friend of the bridegroom. You're just a friend. You're not the bridegroom. Any more than you go to a wedding and you can really remember any of the best men at any of the weddings you've ever been to. We don't. You, you don't remember that guy, unless he does something really stupid. <laughs> Maybe Chelsea does. Uh, like, uh, but you really don't remember the, the best men. But it's really a cool thing when you start looking at it, because in that time in, in Judea, there was this idea, it was called the, the, the Soshbin or the Shoshbin, um, but that was this, this, this task of uh, the best man. It was kind of a double uh, functionary uh, thing. Uh, I think I have a slide of that, if it got translated. Um, but this actual, this idea of what that person is and what that person does, it was like so much more significant than what we do today. So much more significant than just the random dude that's trying to keep everyone from getting drunk and take good pictures and be there on time. And like, that's, that's our thought, kind of this bromance thing of what a best man does today. But not so that time. The shoshpin was given a very specific task. The friend of the bridegroom was given a very specific task to, to be with the bride at the wedding and then when the, the groom would stay and the groom would continue in the celebration with all the friends and the family who had gathered and the friend of the, the, friend of the bridegroom took the bride to the betrothal chamber, to the wedding chamber. And he stood outside and he waited for after the party died down, the bridegroom would come and he would be relieved of his duties 
and the bridegroom would enter into his joy as he went in to consummate the marriage. And then the, the bridegroom's friend, the friend of the bridegroom, the shoshpin, would walk away, his joy complete. So when John says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. So that was a little bit about my story there. But as we see that, as we get that picture, I mean, obviously lots of biblical themes going on here. Bridegrooms, grooms, marriage, suppers. I mean, crazy stuff. Don't have the time. At all. But you see, that was my guide from that point forward. And that will continue to be my guide. That's the God we serve. The God that like before... John the Baptist was, if you go back and read the story, he was Jesus' cousin. There was, parents were getting, you know, it was kind of like, hey, this guy's going to be set apart from birth. So long before he was there, standing across the Jordan River from Jesus, saying, my joy is complete, God's faithfulness was taking shape. Long before he had a hand in it, long before he could he even tell those words and be instructive to his disciples or point people or be the guy with the camel skin or the eating the locusts or, or calling out Herod's uh, infidelities. Long before any of that, before he was uh, saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world, before he was like this Isaiah-esque prophet, before any of that, God was faithful by setting him apart. And that's been very true of my life. And that's a little bit more about my story. Like that's, my parents are here today, and like even before them, as he was capturing my grandfather's heart in a smoky bar, and he was turning his heart and saving two families, and I've come from great Christian homes. So my testimony is not one of like struggle and toil and at the end of my rope. But I get there most days. But God continues to be faithful. And he's been faithful to me long before I stood here before you. He's been faithful to Maus long before I stood here. And so as we meet at this nexus, that he's going to continue to be faithful. And all his promises are yes and amen. And that's exactly what was happening to John. Because friendship is about relationship. And friendship is about formation more than it is about function. We'll get into that next week as we start a new series on the life of Abraham that we're calling, that I'm, that we're calling Friend of God. But the reality of what that is, friendship, and the formation that it's doing in, in me, that it's doing in you guys, that it's done in you over this even this time, you know, intertestamental period between Brian and me or whatever we want to call it. But the reality of it is that God has been working and he's been working in all of our lives to bring us to this very moment sovereignly for all of time. 
And he's been faithful every step of the way. And you say, Micah, there's lots of ways he hasn't been faithful. He's faithful today. And his desire is for that we turn and we face him. And we say, have your way. Have your way. You've been, you've been t- tapping me in the back of the head. You've been grabbing me by the shoulder. But be faithful. And he wants a relationship with you. And he wants a relationship with me. And so if you, maybe you don't know him, he wants to know you. And I want you to know him. Because it's the best life that you can have. Not always on the outside. None of that Joel Osteen stuff. But it is the best life. The friend of the bridegroom life. Because it's about relationship. It's about formation, not just about function. There is function. There will be things that we do. There were things John the Baptist did out of his his calling and in his ministry. But this ministry always was producing something in him more than it was him doing things for Christ. And that's what you see as he gets to this moment. He's like, hey, I must, I got to fade into the background like Eugene Peterson put it. The call for me is to now be happy that the bridegroom has the bride. Because it's always been about my relationship with the bridegroom. That's what a best man is. He has a relationship. He's not worried about what he's got to do. He's all in because he's taking care of the bride and that's what he's about. Because he has a security that's found in relationship. And I want you guys to know, if you don't know him, he wants a relationship with you. And it's not about what you do, it's about who you know, and it's Jesus. And that's what he, I'm looking myself in the mirror because that's what I have to remind myself daily. Micah, it's about, not about what you do, it's about who you know. It's about being a friend of the bridegroom. You know him, you have a relationship with him. The bride is his Stop worrying about it. Stop worrying about that marriage that's struggling. Stop worrying about that relationship. Stop worrying about that personal struggle. Stop worrying about that. Look to me. Come to me. I'm I'm the groom. It's about me. The wedding is about me and my bride. And you're my bride. And I love you. And I'm taking care of you. Paul David Tripp in his book, uh, Dangerous Calling, it's a book written to ministry professionals and pastors, really, but he has um, six things that he, in that book that he comes to, and you'll see a slide here in just a second, um, that say these are the practical ministry fruit of an awe of God. Now, as I was studying for this, I was thinking to myself, like, when you're in a relationship with God, you're in awe with him. You know, just like when you first get married, you're like, you're in awe of this other person. They can do no wrong. And then the shine wears off or, you know, whatever that is. But the reality of when we get the, the call to be, stand in awe of God, you know, Psalm 145, the gener- one generation will commend your works to another. Like that kind of stuff, to be in awe of God is to know him and to have a relationship with him. So the fruit of that is what Paul David Tripp's talking about, practical ministry fruit of the awe of God. Because we think like practical ministry fruit. All right, we're going to do some practical things. Like, but 
I like these because it's not about what I do as, in ministry. It's not about what you guys do in ministry. Because remember, we all, we all have ministry. It's not about what you do. It's who you're becoming. And he says, these are the practical ministry fruit of that relationship with God, of that awe of God. That you're humble. You have humility. You're growing in tenderness. You have passion, confidence, discipline, and that you rest. So again, these are another thing that I look to often. It's like, am I in awe of God? Do I need to get back? I don't want to lose my awe. And maybe you, you look at those words and those are so foreign to you this morning. Let me commend the relationship with God to you again. Let me commend standing in awe of Him again. Getting back to the Psalms, worshiping Him. Because these are the byproduct of the awe of who God is and the gospel and what he's doing in you and in your family and in, this, uh, in his church, his bride. Now you might be thinking, well, I'll never be those things. Well, good news. Because if you go back to Matthew 11, before Jesus commends this guy, John the Baptist, John the Baptist is now in prison. And he sends disciples back to Jesus and says, hey, are you the guy that was, that, we were, that was supposed to come, the guy that I was a forerunner to. And I always read that and it's like, that's the craziest thing. Like, especially like you read like John 3 and like that stuff and you're like, no, this is John. He's, he's literally asking. He's having a dark moment in jail. He's going to be, he's moments, days, weeks from being beheaded by Herod. And he's like, would you guys go ask? And just, I'm struggling to believe that that guy is the guy. But that's destructive because even this guy, the guy that in verse 11 of Matthew, Jesus says, this is the guy. He's, of all people born to mankind, he's the front runner. Not just me, but all of you. And why was Jesus saying that? Because Jesus stood by and saw that practical ministry fruit in John. This, this humility that lasted to the end. This confidence that lasted to the end. This tenderness that lasted to the end. Restfulness end. I mean, all those things. We just sung about them today. Your confidence. I will find my rest. Because he had a friendship a friendship with the groom. That's the good news. If you read Matthew, if we're reading Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus commends him and he says, we'll go right to it as I close here. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus is then turning the corner and saying, every one of you, better than John the Baptist. And you're like, what? Why? Because not only, he was a voice calling in the wilderness. He was the last voice of an old covenant and the first of a new. But we now live this side of Christ Jesus. We, when you want to talk about all our promises being yes and amen, hallelujah. 
this side of what Jesus has done, his work on the cross. And so as we stand here today, we are, Jesus is essentially saying, we are the voices of a better covenant than even John was, and we can give testimony, and we can live that out today if we will just be find relationship with him and find relationship at his side, rejoicing at the sound of his voice. So that's my, that's my heart for myself. That's what guides me day to day. That's my heart for you guys. That's my prayer. Let me read this. It's like a page, basically. It's a, I don't know if you guys know Michael Card, performing artist, author, but he wrote about this, about this, uh, these verses chapter titled Friend of the Bridegroom. But he writes a fable kind of from the perspective of the, of, uh, of the bridegroom, if you will. And I'll read it and then I'll pray and then we'll, we'll move on a time of more worship. But just you close your eyes, th- think about this, envision it. I would think it's going to be up here. So if you want to read, sometimes I mumble. From across the village, the sound of the wedding feast can still be heard. Though it has begun to die down, hours ago he escorted her from the wedding banquet. The revelers hardly noticed she was gone. He now stands guard outside the bridal chamber. For in these days, brides are still sometimes stolen. He is the best friend of the bridegroom, the one above all others he can trust with his own bride. He's called the Shoshpin. He waits as the party dies down and finally comes to an end. As the shoshman hears the footsteps and voices leaving the wedding feast, his excitement begins to build. Soon as his best friend, soon his best friend will come and consummate the marriage. The bridegroom will at last make his beloved his own. As friends, they had talked about it since they were boys. The Shoshman remembers the first time he met her, remembers the excitement of his best friend whispering to him the good news that he had found his bride. He was the first to know. That was so many months ago, and now at last the wedding has occurred, a new life for his friend, perhaps even children. As he stands in the pitch black, these thoughts bounce around his head, his heart full of joy for the new couple. He shares their happiness as no one else can. At long last, he hears footsteps coming down the narrow street. They seem familiar, yet still it is his mission to be sure. A dark figure walks towards him. The shoshpin stiffens. It might be an imposter. It's me, the bridegroom whispers. I'm here. He would know the voice of his friend anywhere. At last he's come. The bride is ready. The shoshman steps aside. To open the door to the bridal chamber, his job is done. The dim light comes from the lamp within the chamber, illuminates his friend's features. There is joy, there is relief, there is passion, and above all, there is love. As the bridegroom steps past his guardian friend, Their eyes meet. They are moist. Thank you, friend, the bridegroom says. 
there is no one I trust more than you. The stipulation of the custom says that the Shoshman is now to go away rejoicing, but he needs no encouragement from custom. His task is done. His joy is full. And that's what he's called me to, and that's what he's called every one of us to. Our task is not done, but our bridegroom is coming. And we're part of his bride, but we also get to shape and call other people to the wedding. And we get to guard the bride and care for the bride and love the bride. And it's a joy that I stand here today, and it's a joy that we get to do this together as family as we await fullness of joy, because it's already, but not yet. Lord Jesus, grateful for your presence, grateful for this time. Thank you for being here among us. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, you've been here. No longer are we just waiting for things to come about, for, for the new covenant to take place. But we have the very Spirit of God written on our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Godhead, walking alongside of us in our hearts, God's law written on our hearts. We're no longer having discuss, need to have discussions about purity because we've been purified through the blood of Christ Jesus. And we're so grateful. And so we long for our bridegroom to return. We long to care for the bride. in the way that would be befitting our joyous grin. We love you, Jesus, and we look to you because it's all about you. And it's in that name we pray, amen.